Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm in Milan right now. Oh, are you at yeah, that hotel? Yeah. No, I was before, but now I'm here. Okay. Because, because when you call, I'm here. When, um, how often, like when does that hotel business, when does that start kicking in? Uh, now uh, the, the 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 real like the the show the show off let's say thing yeah. is the last uh, last week. Okay. Now it's more like uh, you know you go there you see the agents you see the people you just you know do the paparazzi part of the of the thing. Is there really and, paparazzi outside? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not really. Yeah. No, I am the paparazzi. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> in this case, in this case, but uh, yeah. Uh, I wanted to kick it off this week with an email from Elias uh, Amalal, who says, Hey everyone, my name is Elias. I live in Paris and I've always been a lifelong Inter Milan fan. Okay. I've just listened to the new format episode in Inter. Absolutely loved it. I can't wait to hear another to hear about another club. So keep up the good work. By the way, I was wondering whether you'd have a kit ranking episode for Premier League in Serie A. Really enjoyed last year's one. And this is where it's important for you, Fran. Uh, okay. Can't wait to have Fra back on the podcast. Oh God. <laughs> Wow! <laughs> Thank you. Well, I mean, Elias, you were you were not expecting that. I was not. I, I was not expecting this. But Elias, <laughs> your your wish is my command because joining me, in McCourt, on today's One Football Podcast is Francesco Porzio. Hello, everyone. Everyone, good to be back. I didn't realize you were such a star to the people no. out there, Francesco. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I uh, later on we're going to have Jibril uh, Giop uh, talking league on with us and Joanna Bueno talking about Flamengo, but I recently recently saw you uh on a video mm-hmm. um with which one uh, there's one with um well, what's his name your your friend the transfer fabrizio romano yeah with romano oh, yeah, when yeah. you're in you're in the middle of the in milan the, in front the, of the, Duomo. Yeah, the bleacher report one yeah that's so, the one yeah 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 the, the, that was last year we did it uh, one of the last days of transfer market in milan here it was fun. <laughs> oh, you're such a star. So great to have you uh, on. <laughs> thank you, thank you. But uh, let's let's go to Serie A talking. It's better. Yeah, yeah. But before we do that, let's do a quick reminder in case you missed last week's episode. We now have two One Football podcasts. If you like the northern English tones of Dan Burke and all things Premier League, then check out the Monday podcast. However, if you're into art, culture, and you've got just more sophisticated European and world tastes, then the Thursday podcast is the one for you. The email address remains the same if you want to get in touch, send over any questions, and that's podcast at onefootball.com. Francesco, we had the opening weekend of Serie A season. We had a victory yep. for Andrea Pirlo. Wow. That was super, super, super nice to see, actually. I mean, I was uh, I was waiting so much to see Juventus this season. And I mean, I think we are still in a preliminary phase because, of course, the, the teams are not completed yet. I mean, Juventus, they, they bought Morata this week and they're go- maybe they're going to have another striker. And uh, But, you know, the, the teams are not completed yet. And we have to be clear in that and we have to be precise and accurate when we when we analyze what the, the teams have done. Uh, but for sure it was an impressive start. Let, let's say also say that Sampdoria wasn't really impressing in this game, but uh, we can say that uh, there were some interesting things for sure. Uh, I was expecting that and I'm glad that um, he maintained the promises. It's Kulusevski, Dejan Kulusevski is for me one of the best players in Serie A. Mm. He was amazing the first game. He was he scored the first goal of the season for Juventus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Great I'm finish expect- too. Really yeah, yeah, he, 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 he's really good. He's, uh, I, think, uh, I think he will find a space in this team, even if they, are, they have a lot of strikers there, and, um, because he's really good. So I think so far so good for Pirlo. I mean, it's not like a, uh, we cannot say, okay, this Juve is uh, different from the one before, but definitely we can say that there is more empathy between the manager and the team. That's mm. for sure, 100%. You, you could hear it from the post-interview, post-game interviews by Bonucci or by other, other players that, you know, you can feel there is a different atmosphere there. And for sure, Pirlo is, uh, is, uh, is, is great in doing that because he's one of them, he's one of the teammates, basically, 
quickly and now he's from in the other on the other side but still like he has more empathy uh, rega uh, regarding the, the, the dressing room than if you compare it with uh, Maurizio Sarri who mm. of course didn't have it and that's what the, the most important reasons why he didn't stay this season as Juventus manager a couple of things I noticed from the from the first game and let's get back to the empathy point in a minute because I think that's interesting but Juventus were so much quicker with the ball than they were with Sarri yeah, I mean uh, that's the, the the idea of uh, probably of uh, of playing that uh, the Pirlo has in mind. Uh, I think um, we still have to figure out how how Pirlo is as a manager. I cannot tell you right now if he is adapting to the team he has or if you know his ideas are that strong that they already understood them. I think right now it's we are still in a phase that we cannot tell it. So. It's too early right now. I, and I don't want to expose my, it's not that I don't want to expose myself, it's that, you know, it's too difficult to say right now. And I will be inaccurate to say that, you know, something like that. So I will, I will say that we have to wait a bit to understand how really Pirlo is as a manager. I think we, we are, we, he's more in a direction like uh, uh, Allegri, probably, uh, you know, that kind of manager who really adapts uh, on the team he has. That's why, like, we still didn't understand if he's going to play with a three-back defense or uh, with, a four play, uh, with a four in the defense. So, like, we have to see in the next weeks. Uh, I, I love the amount of young players he had on the side, too. Like, Weston McKenney was impressive on his debut. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's that was a uh, that's something he he really he really wants to do. I mean, uh, no, he no even no also not to mention McKinney, who was really good, but also he played Frabotta as a left back, and uh, I bet that you didn't know who was the, the day he played, and <laughs> probably me neither. So I mean, uh, we are talking about uh, under twenty three team players. So like, it's impressive to see. You know, it's it's the opening. It's the, it's the your debut in a, in, a, in Juventus and you play Frabotta. Eh, that's impressive. I think that's really impressive from from Andrea Pirlo. And then of course we have to see uh, what he's going to do in the future. But you know, if I were Andrea Pirlo, I probably wouldn't play with Frabotta's left back. But he did, and he did great, and so good for him. Yeah, that's why he's manager of Juventus, and that's why you're talking to me on the One Football <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> that's true, that's true. But um, I mean, I'm still young, so I, I don't want to... <laughs> there's time, there's time, Francesco. There's time. Um, going back to the point about empathy, um, I was just thinking, a lot of those players would remember Pirlo and his career and what he meant to Italy, uh, you know, with the national team and, and you know, how he's played for all, like, you know, on the biggest stage. So that must that must really strike a chord in those same like in a way that Sari just couldn't have done for them. Yeah, of course. I mean, we are talking about uh, not only uh, the manager of Juventus, but we are talking about uh, one of the top five legends in the last fifty years of Italian football. I mean, top five, top ten. Then you, we can decide that. But for sure, as midfielder, probably the best one in the history of Italian mm. football. And uh, so when when there is Andrea Pirlo speaking to you. If you are a young player, probably you are, you're like, wow, I mean, that's Andrea Pirlo saying to me, I have to, to do that. So uh, that's for sure has another impact. But also if you consider, you know, uh, Bonucci or Chiellini or Buffon, uh, Buffon is, uh, I mean, he played with Andrea Pirlo for, two, for 15 years in the national team. I think they have so much respect for him. They they don't even say you know there was um you know in Italy we have the difference between first person and third person right mm. like English, and the manager you you talk with the manager in third person to give him respect, and um, and and uh, and Bonucci told told to the to the Italian TV that he's talking to him in third person, even if you know they were friends they are friends, because they have so much respect for him and uh, wow that's incredible. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, they have to do it because if you, have, you have, if you play in a team, you can there cannot be a difference between Bonucci and another player. So everyone has to behave in the same way. It will be disrespectful by Bonucci talking to him as a friend. You know what I mean? Mm. So that makes sense. But still, like uh, we, they, they respect him really. And I think what, what we saw in the first game, it's for sure there is some sort of respect between the two sides. And I think he can do great. I mean, it's too early now to say that, but. I think there are a lot of uh, impressive things from the start. Uh, so the young players impressed, but also Aaron Ramsey impressed. I know one Welshman <laughs> has gone back to the Premier League recently, but was was Ramsey sort of playing for his for his future at Juventus, or are those rumours uh, dead and buried? 
Uh, I don't think Ramsey will leave Juventus, to be honest. Uh, not because he doesn't have, uh, you know, the ability to go somewhere else or that he doesn't have a, a market, let's say, but because, you know, uh, for his salary and it's not easy to find a team in 10 days. And, um, and I think, honestly, that's what... That's what I was expect, expecting from Ramsey last season, to be honest. Mm. Uh, I was impressed, yes, but not that much because, uh, I mean, that's what Ramsey should do every game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he was good, but, you know, he should have been good last season too. Uh, so, like, uh, I think it's one of those players who can definitely improve a lot with, with Pirlo and definitely have a positive impact. But we have to see in the long term if he performs in this way. Mm. Yeah, I mean, three goals you would, would make you think that Juventus are not looking for players up front, but Morata has gone there. I can't understand. <laughs> I, I just I can't understand this. What Morata back to Juve? Yeah, or? Morata back to you. Why would they want Morata? That seems like a backward okay. step for me. Uh, no, Morata was. Uh, they really had. They always had uh, an amazing relation with Morata. Uh, not only the the club, not only the players. They they was they were also close. Uh, he was also very close to Pirlo when he was playing. Uh, so that's probably important. But also the fans. When you when you speak about the fans yesterday, uh, when when I was talking with other Juventus fans, you know about Morata, they were all, oh my God, that's super cool. We're back Morata uh, because he he was good at Juventus. Probably, to be honest, I have to say that it was probably his best seasons at Juventus. He mm. had he scored in a Champions League final. He scored in a many many important games in Serie A. He was really good. He was playing with Tevez. Was a nice duo that they had there, and probably. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm still convinced that the perfect striker for Juventus was Edin Dzeko uh, because of his way of playing. Uh, the, he, could get, uh, he could give so much uh, freedom to Cristiano Ronaldo that probably uh, with Morata doesn't have. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's not a bad move at the end. Like, if you consider the other option, probably was Olivier Giroud. I, I would prefer Morata over Olivier Giroud, to be honest. What happened with Dzeko? What did that break down? Uh, Jaco, the deal with Juve was done. They were already was all set since weeks, <laughs> mm. and uh, the problem was about Milik, who was supposed to go to Roma and being the replacement to Edin Jaco. And uh, they, he has like uh, he, he still has some issues with the Napoli president, who you know is not like as easy one to deal with. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they basically like you know if you remember last November there was like a um uh the players went AWOL and they didn't go to the to the after game you know hotel mm, and they yeah. stayed there there was a mess with Napoli uh, it was a big thing in Italy and uh and there is some um, the, the, the president basically sued the players and so there are like some economics uh, problem there between the players and the president mm. and so like there is some this the, this problem about money and also another one about uh, like his own rest in Poland that he did some, you know, uh, ads for this restaurant and not, didn't have the permission from Napoli. It's only about money in this case. And then, uh, you know, uh, the deal basically collapsed because of that, because Juventus cannot, couldn't wait, you know, like forever for this thing. So at one point they said, okay, uh, Jaco is too, it's taking us too long to get him. Let's go for Morata. In the meantime, uh, Luis Suarez didn't go to Juventus for other reasons that now are public, let's say. Mm. And, uh, and, um, and so, like, uh, Atletico Madrid found an agreement for Suarez, and then they, they had the opportunity and they said, okay, now we can give Morata with, uh, with the loan, with buyout option, which is something they always refuse to do. Because Juventus, they actually looked for Morata even before, because Fabio Paratici, the sport director of Juventus, is one of those people who, you know, works in five, six tables at the same time, you know what I mean? Mm. It's, uh, maybe it's an Italian way to say things, but, you know, they always, he, he does many things at the same time, you know, so he worked with the Morata, with the Dzeko, with Mili, all at the same time and then when he finds uh, when he decides he, everything is all set wow <laughs> the inner workings of the event is transfer machine uh, can we talk about the Suarez uh, Italian exam with a, a, a very uh, large a very large reportedly uh, before any of what we say here I, I am disgusted honestly about about this and um, it's a shame not only for you for, for, for the world of football but for, for my country which is Italy and I uh, you know, what, what exactly uh, happened, Francesco? What exactly happened is that uh, 
Uh, he needed the Italian citizenship uh, because of to get the European passport, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the beginning to go to Juventus, but then he, he didn't go to Juve, but still like he was in the, he probably asked for it. So at, at the end, probably he decided to do it anyway, even if he was, he was not going to Juve because uh, then the technical timings were too long. So it was after the transfer window. So he, he couldn't go to Juve at the end. Uh, so it's Juventus at the moment are not investigated about it. Uh, but then, uh, basically, they found out uh, there were mm, investigation about other topics. Uh, so uh, casually, they they they, uh, they they found out that you know they it was all prepared. This thing it was all uh, a setup. So he knew the questions beforehand. Uh, he knew the results beforehand. Uh, it was all set up to to get this uh, Italian citizenship. So now, I mean, I don't want to get into that too much because it. There is an investigation going on, so yeah, of it's course, always yeah. difficult to say what we know now. But if you the wire tapes that they are they came out yesterday are quite worrying. There are this professor and a quote unquote professor because I can call this person a professor who says, uh, um, you know, he earns ten millions. He needs that anyway, even if he doesn't speak Italian. And that's embarrassing because I come from a country where we invented universities, basically. Uh, they are the most ancient uh, in Europe, the one we have in Italy. Uh, not only Perugia, but Bologna. Like our history of, uh, of, of universities is, uh, is, uh, is unbelievable. And, you know, destroying a name for something like that, it's, it's a shame for, for everyone, for, for, for the world of football, for Suarez himself, but also for, for Italy as a, as a country. It's just stupid. It looks, it looks bad on all, uh, on all accounts. You know, you know, yeah. I always like to quote Jose Mourinho, and in this case, I, I will say, I prefer not to speak. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe you'd like to speak about Vidal at Inter. Uh, that was a that was a nice move. I think he's a. You think you know, so? I I I think that again. I think it's a backward step. I, I I don't see Vidal as the player he was a couple of years ago. No, okay, that's true, totally. But you have to consider the transfer window we are leaving. It's not something usual. It's not something that we faced before. We are living the most dramatic uh, economic crisis for football clubs mm. in the history. No way around. That's it. The, the most dramatic in the history. There was nothing because if you compare with World War II, the clubs were not the industries like they are right now. So there is no way around. Now all the clubs at the same time uh, have all issues economically speaking so they cannot afford players like before so of course if inter could afford other players was going for other players but then they talked with conte and they said okay we cannot do this so what can we do and conte said okay it's fine but now i want the players i believe in so that's why inter went for color that's why inter went for vidal and Vidal is a warrior. He's a, you know, there is a there is a sentence by Antonio Conte who said, "If I have to go to war, the player I will bring with me is Arturo Vidal." And for him, football it's war. So that's why he, <laughs> he wanted Arturo Vidal. Well, so that I makes think, sense. Uh, How much did they get him for? Uh, it's a free transfer. Uh, so oh, also, okay. also that's um, you know, uh, like Suarez uh, to Atletico Madrid. You know, since they have uh, this salary, that are re- really uh, important for the clubs uh, because uh, uh, Vidal earns at Inter six million per year, uh, and also Barcelona want you know want to buy players, so they need to create like a space mm-hmm. in the salary. Uh, to you know, let's call it the salary cap like they do in the MLS, but it's mm-hmm. not like that, of course. But it's something very similar at the end, because before buying players, they need to sell players. So they created this space by selling Arturo Vidal. So for them, uh, like saving the money for his salary is basically like selling a player, because you know they they will they will save like 20 millions per in two years. So it's a lot of money. Well, that is and, uh, money. Yeah. So you know, makes sense. Inter will just pay, you know, adds on. So if Inter, you know, that depends on Vidal uh, objectives, but also from Inter uh, objectives. And in that case, Barcelona will get some adds on, but it's not something fixed. There is no like a fee for Vidal. Okay. Well, no Atalanta, no Inter in action just yet. Um, Napoli looked slick against Parma, though. Well, I was impressed by them. I mean, Napoli, they, they build a strong team and they started to do that last December. So if we think about Napoli, you know, they changed the manager in December. They bought uh, players uh, last January for this transfer window, like Petagna, like Ramani, 
And then they bought Osimen, they, they kept uh, Mertens, Insigne is still there. Yes, they lost Callejon, but probably they're going to replace him. They have Lozano, who was not impressing last season. So Napoli, if you see the team, is not bad at all. They have Fabian Ruiz, they have Zielinski, uh, and now I'm forgetting, for course, some names. They still have Koulibaly, uh, mm. Manolas. Uh, it's a nice team, and uh, you know, I think they can go in the top, in the top four this season. But they can't win it. Honestly, I see Juventus and Inter fighting for the for the championship, and uh, maybe Atalanta also like can be. But you know, it's um, I would I would say Juventus or Inter this season. Um, as per Elias's request, um, can you give us a quick jersey ranking? <laughs> okay, you want the, the best ones or the worst? Well, one? let's do both while we have you here. Okay, okay, let's start. So let's start with do... start with the worst. That's always fun. Okay, I start with the worst. Mm-hmm. I go with the uh, Inter Inter first one. I don't know oh. if you saw it. The, 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 the yeah. one with zigzag mm-hmm. thing. It's terrible. just terrible. terrible. Then I go with the uh, uh, the the Napoli Napoli first one. I don't like it because oh what know, oh it's great. But you know why they, they still have the sponsor in red? They should put white. Every time they do okay. that, if that that jersey was in white, I just do that because I want you know to push it for mm. <laughs> for the sponsor of Napoli to change the color it has to be white. Why why red? You know I know the sponsor is red, but will be another jersey will be amazing. And then the the, the worst of the worst for me is the third Juventus one, the Whoa. orange one. Whoa. Uh, that yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> there's no there's no there's no really other words to describe it, but yeah. And then I go with the, the best ones. I will say, uh, I will say, Inter third one, uh, the one with the horizontal stripes, mm. uh, which I really like. Then I go with, uh, I like the AC Milan uh, first one this season. Oh yeah, that's good too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and for me, the best absolutely is the away jersey of Roma, the one with the wolf instead of the uh, instead of the um, the, the classic uh, logo of Roma. Oh, that's the, for me is the best. One. Roma pull out a great jersey every season. Yeah, they have yeah. the best ones. Yeah. I also like the Juventus home. I thought that was quite nice. I don't know. Those stripes are like. Mm, I don't know. I still have to figure out. <laughs> De- definitely better than last season's. Let's let's say. That uh, one last question before we let you go. Um, any yeah. other Serie A stories or transfers we need to be aware of? I mean, I would say that we need to be aware of the um, these last days because everything can happen. I think never like this year, never before like this year will be so hectic because there will so many clubs need to do transfers. Like Inter has right now thirty three players Oof. in the squad. So they need, of course, to to buy players, to sell players, especially to sell players. So watch out, because, for example, Milan Skriniar is in the radar of Tottenham and uh, Inter already have the idea of replacing him with Milenkovic. But Tottenham needs to pay at least 60 million of euros, so not oh. easy. Well, I don't know where they're going to get that money from. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> As part of the new approach, uh, each week we're going to talk to a friend of the podcast about their club, how they picked their team, the history, the greatest moments, the greatest players, and of course, look at some of the issues around the club today. We started last week with Nima and Inter Milan. This week we take a trip to Brazil to talk Flamengo with Joana Bueno. Hello. Joana, this is something you have been dying to do for ever since you started coming on the podcast. Definitely. Please stop me if I talk too much. <laughs> uh, so it is it is Flamengo. Um, but why then? What, what got you behind them? Uh, well, I think pretty much like everyone, how they choose their football clubs, their parents, the dads took them to the stadium when they were young, something like that. So my whole family is Flamengo. I didn't really, I didn't, I couldn't really escape from that. You didn't have a choice. I didn't have a choice. What was it like going to the stadium back in back in like sort of? Um, I, I'm I'm not revealing anything here, but let's say <laughs> let's say the 90s in Brazil, because you see all of those crazy pictures, and it's nothing like. I mean, I grew up going to Derry City games uh, with about 20 people in the stadium, but you look you look at all the ones with Flamengo, and you see all the crazy fans. What was it like going at such a young age? 
Yeah, well, first of all, my first, some of my first memories are in a football stadium, Imaracana. But my parents used to take me when I was four or five years old, and my memories there are from sleeping during the match and asking my dad, wake me up if there's a goal. <laughs> but there was no, no screens. I couldn't really see the goal afterwards. But that's my, like, some of my first memories. But then in the 90s, um, it was pretty intense. I mean, Maracana is... Uh, used to be the biggest stadium in the world and you had two rings of uh, stands but actually really close to the pitch it was uh, it wasn't really a ring but it was just people standing around we used to call it geral which means general like a general audience it cost one real which today is like 20 cents of an euro <laughs> so Flamengo is the the people's club in Brazil it's very popular and it's very popular among the lower classes so those people used to pay one real and go there and watch their team I mean the the, the site on that side part of the of the stadium was not good you know because you're more or less on the same level as the players but it was insane the atmosphere was absolutely insane and I'm guessing there was no like I I mean I grew up in stadiums with seats but I'm guessing that that wasn't the case oh actually uh, Maracana used to have two uh, rings and the first ring was called the chairs because yes there was a seat there the upper ring was the stands with no chairs but you know no there was no such a thing as a number chair you wouldn't go to sit on your 835 whatever people would just go and sit wherever and sometimes you can't even sit down because there's so many people that even on the break there's no room for everyone to sit down this is not the case nowadays you know we hosted the world cup we had to renovate all stadiums follow all the modern football procedures but it was pretty pretty intense yeah, so when you're going to Maracana as, as a youngster and you're going to see the Flamengo games did you have any sense of like how historical a stadium that was and what it meant to football and everything that had gone on there or was it just it was just normal for you both actually I, I knew how big that was because you grow up listening to those stories where Brazil lost the World Cup at home in Maracana even though we were favourites and we started the match in one year but at the same time it was every weekend it was something you did every weekend so it was like your second home you go there every weekend you're always watching your team play you know the people that are around you you know where to go in to go out so it was both actually and um, were they were they ground sharing at the time what do you mean were they sharing with other teams at the time right oh. Yes. I, I know because Fluminense use it too is that right yeah the truth is that Maracana belongs to the city not to the clubs so you have Flamengo Fluminense Botafogo and Vasco both are four big clubs in, in Rio so they all of them used to share uh, so what happened back in the day was that Flamengo and Vasco had a fixed area like Flamengo was always on the right side and Vasco was always on the left side so when Fluminense played uh, Botafogo, they, you know, when Fluminense played Flamengo, they used to stay on the left side. When they played Vasco, they stayed on the right side. So we used to say that it was our stadium because we had a fixed spot on it. But nowadays, Vasco has their own, they have their own stadium, which is a lot smaller, so they can't play with, you know, Flamengo or Fluminense or bigger teams, but they play uh, against teams from outside Rio and we built an Olympic stadium for the 2007 Pan American Games and then for the Olympic Games and Botafogo um, manages that stadium so now you can say that only Flamengo and Fluminense do not have a stadium so they both share Maracana now and is there any plans to eventually get that or are they they're happy with the Maracana they're always saying that, you know, they're, they're doing plans, there's this one area, but the, the truth is Rio is a very difficult city for you to build anything because it's full of waterfalls and mountains and hills. So when you have to build something new, and especially something that big, you have to build it very far away from what people usually live and where they do stuff. That's what happened with the Olympic Games. The Olympic Park is at the very end of the city. So they talk about it, but they were going to have to build something there. And I don't think it would be that successful and it would be 
traffic problems going there. So I don't think it will ever become a reality. Is there a part of the city where the Flamengo fans are from or is it just it's just Pan Pan Rio? Well, actually, the, the Flamengo, the name of the club, comes from the neighborhood. There's a neighborhood in Flamengo, in, in Rio, called Flamengo. There's a neighborhood called Botafogo as well. That's where the names of both clubs were. Like, the people that founded them lived in that area. Uh, actually, that's one of the... Maybe you're going to ask me about it later, but that's one of the reasons why Flamengo was founded, was that there was a rowing club in Botafogo, and then the guys from Flamengo, which is a neighborhood close, like they're you know, one on the side of the other, they decided let's let's make our own rowing club. So they founded Flamengo. It actually started as a rowing club, but Flamengo grew to be much bigger than that. And it's it's I think Flamengo and maybe Corinthians, but more Flamengo because Corinthians more around the São Paulo and the South region is the a true national club because you have bigger. You have big clubs in all parts of the city, in all parts of the country. But it's usually the second most popular after the regional Flamengo in Brazil. There's a saying that you can't go anywhere without seeing a Flamengo shirt. And that applies also to matches. If you watch... Brazil against France in the Emirates Stadium for a friendly, you're going to find a Flamengo shirt in the audience. And they have a couple of, it's not just football, there's a couple of different departments to go with it too, right? Exactly. So they were founded as a rowing club and at some point they created a football department. It was actually a few football players that were unsatisfied playing for Fluminense and they decided to found their own club and they approached Flamengo and said, hey, can we play football for you guys? So then football came along. And Flamengo also have um, basketball, volleyball, judo, swimming. And I think nowadays these are all the sports, but at some point we used to have like lots of different things. I'd heard there was a gymnastics and American football team, but maybe that's not maybe that's not true anymore. There, there is a gymnastics, but I'm not sure if due to the recent economic crisis, if the gymnastics department still exists. The American football, I think, is just actually we don't. There is absolutely no American football pitch in the country, so they play in the beach. So it's beach American football. It's more like a fun thing, but I think yeah, maybe they they play for Flamengo. They as play well. beach American football. That's amazing. Yes, um, they are of course famous for the the red and black. Um, what, is there is there a story behind that? Yeah, there is actually. Uh, actually, the rowing club used to have. Um, uh, stripes, but hoops, right? The horizontal stripes are hoops. Mm-hmm. So the, their shirt used to be blue and yellow, but the yellow was kind of like a gold yellow. So when they founded the... And then they used to row with that, but they used to row it in open sea, open water. So the the sea salt used to blur the colors a little bit. So they changed it to red and black because they were more resistant colors. Then when Flamengo founded the, the football department, the rowing guy said, okay, you can, you can play football with us, but you're not going to wear the same shirt because we're unique. So it was actually squares. It was like um, four squares in the shirt, black and yellow, black and, and red. And then these shirts, I think Flamengo lost a bunch of matches and they decided the shirt was bad luck. In Brazil, everything regarding football is superstition, it's luck. So they decided it's bad luck. They decided to change that. Let's use the hoops. But again, the rowing club said it has to be different from our hoops. So they had uh, red and black but they added the white in the middle of it, between the red and black. So it was like three colors. The thing is, World War I came along, and by then, back then, the German flag was actually uh, red, 
white and black. So they didn't want to look like the enemy. So they removed the white stripe in the middle and then it stayed just like the rowing one with just red and black stripes, uh, hoops. And, and it's been like that since then. Okay, so that's uh, that, that's Flamengo up to World War One. Uh, Zico comes sometimes in the 70s, which I'm sure you want to talk about. Anything anything in between that we should know about like in, in terms of history? Well, yeah, actually, Flamengo, you know, they had like a, they had some squads that made history, uh, one in the 50s and the 40s, beginning of the 50s, then in the 70s, and then Zico comes along. But I think what is most important here is to say is that in the 40s, when radio was, you know, being nationalized in Brazil, being people popularized when people were buying radios and and listening to radios before TV came along. The radio station that broadcasted to the whole country, because, you know, as you know, it's a it's a continental country. It's really big. So the radio station that broadcasted to the whole country was hosted in Rio. So they realized the power of football and of broadcasting the football matches. So they started broadcasting Flamengo because Flamengo was the best team back then in the 50s. And that's how Flamengo became so popular in the country. Uh, you know, service, they vary, but they say that Flamengo has around between 35 million and 40 million fans all over the country. Uh, it's a 210 million co- people country. And the second most popular club is Corinthians with about between 20 to 25. So that's a big difference. And the reason why Flamengo is so popular and so popular around the whole country is actually because of radio, because everyone used to listen to Flamengo. I'm guessing watching Zico in the 70s helped up their uh, up their followership throughout the country. Definitely. Um, Brazilian football is also a little bit different from European football in general, because being such a big country, we didn't have a national league until 1971. So the important there was the regional leagues. Flamengo used to play the regional league uh, with Botafogo, Vasco, Fluminense and other smaller teams. Then Sao Paulo had their own. And it wasn't until the 70s that, you know, everyone played each other. And Zico came along in the end of the 70s. So when he came along, it was one of those guys of those squads that, you know, not only do they have a really good leader and well, he wasn't a striker, but he he scored many goals. But they also had a big squad. You know, like what would Brazil in this 1970 World Cup be without Pelé, but also you know without the people that played with him. So this was the squad that Flamengo built in the end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s. So then Flamengo won. If I'm not mistaken, it was like four national leagues in the space of six years or something like that. And this, of course, pushed the popularity of the team in the country and made Flamengo become such an iconic club as it is nowadays. So we're talking from 78, 79 onwards, that's when they... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure about the, the, the years, but it was, I think Flamengo won in 79, 1980, then 81, no, but we won the Libertadores and the... Well, the World Club with against Liverpool, and then eighty two and eighty three again, and then Flamengo won again. I think in, I'm not sure, but I think then we won again in eighty seven and in ninety two. So in ninety two we won our fifth title, and it was three of them in a row. Then came along too, so it was pretty intense. It was the the eighties was the Flamengo decade in Brazil. Um, Zico was obviously so important to the club and came back again after that spell at Udinese. Um, for those who don't know much about him, maybe you could just uh, give a brief intro because I, people have always heard his name, but do they know he was like what what he did or or what he was most famous for? Um, yeah. Well, first of all, he was raised in Flamengo. You know, he was born in the Flamengo Academy. And this is something that we're very proud of. We say that the star players, we don't buy them, we make them. It's not so true nowadays, you know, selling Vinicius at age 17 years old to Real Madrid. But uh, it's still 
uh, we still have a strong academy. So this is also one of the reasons why we love him so much. But then uh, it was a really young guy coming from, you know, the, the poor neighborhoods that his family was, his dad was a crazy Flamengo fan. So he's playing for the club that his family loves. And he was the typical number 10 shirt. The guy that plays right behind the striker, that organizes everything, that thinks about the play, that or that makes the play, that gives that one special pass that you would never have thought. On top of that, scoring a lot of goals as well. And on top of that, he was the best free kick taker I think I have ever seen. Maybe nowadays I can say he's the second best because of Juninho, you know, the play for Lyon. He's also amazing. But he was uh, amazing. And he played for Brazil, of course, because by then, Brazil had, you know, very good players. The 80s generation in Brazil was amazing. And we built that 1982 World Cup squad that lots of people say was the best squad ever, even better than Brazil in the 70s. The truth is that that squad didn't win because, you know, they were so good that their defense was not that good and they thought that they could just turn things around at at any moment. And it wasn't so so true when we lost to 3-2 against Italy and we were out of the World Cup and true story, people actually killed themselves. There were a few suicides of people that were so desperate when Brazil lost that World Cup that they couldn't believe. Not really. True story. Oh my God. Yeah, that's how, that's how crazy people are for, for football in Brazil. Um, there was some great, speaking of his, his, his free kick ability, there were some great stories of when he was manager of Fenerbahce. Um, I think it was Volkan, Volkan Demerel, who was, who was the keeper at the time, was sort of like, he was because Roberto Carlos and Alex were there. Uh, at the same time as when um, when Zico was in charge and Volcan was like yeah you know was Zico really that good at free kicks and apparently Zico lined up like three or four free kicks and just scored every single time on him <laughs> exactly Zico was always that guy you know that the Cristiano Ronaldo type guy that everyone leaves the, the training is over and he still he stays there practicing his free kicks and by then we didn't have any technology or you know good technology so what he used to to do is that he used to take off his shirt and hang it in the very corner of the the goal of the posts and he used to try and score and hit the shirt at the very very little corner there which is actually where we say where the owl sleeps so he used to hit the owl there and he used to stay there for one two hours so that's how he practiced his uh, free kick takes uh, so early 90s brings uh, a bit of a financial crisis for the club uh, and for and for the league in general, um, I'm get, is that one of the is that one of the low points, or, or or were there many low points as a Flamengo supporter? It's definitely one of the low points. Flamengo won the league again in '92, and then we didn't win it for 17 years. We won it again in 2009 when Adriano the Emperor came back. So did 19- he give? Is it true that he gave himself that nickname? I don't think so. No, I think it was the Italian press (laughs) that, you know, Ronaldo's the phenomenon and Adriano's the emperor and Kaká was, I think, the the magician, the prince, something like that. I think it was the prince, yeah. Yeah. So the 90s became a... a, came up with a big crisis for, I think, Latin American football in general because in Europe... um, they started having private television channels and up until the early 90s it was just public channels so there was no competition so when there was channels competing for you know the audience they had to have the prime product and the prime product was football so they started paying the european clubs a lot of money on broadcasting rights so suddenly overnight european football was way more powerful and way richer than Brazilian football, Argentinian, Uruguayan. So they took all the players and then the level of the football played in Brazil fell dramatically. And Flamengo didn't know how to cope with that, many other clubs. So we had lots of down points in the history. 
at the same time, there is the stage tournaments, which, you know, the big clubs, just like in Europe, the big clubs became bigger and the smaller clubs became even smaller. So the gap grew there. So even if there is a crisis, even if we're not winning anything, we can always win the state championship, the state tournaments. So it's not, even during the crisis, there wasn't really such a big crisis. But then we won it again in 2009. And right after that, um, or right before that, actually, no, right after that, Flamengo was went into a, a bad run again, and we were in like relegation zone, fighting against relegation for a few years. But the truth is, you have such a big amount of very passionate friends, fans, and you have that stadium, Maracanã, which is you know amazing. So whenever Flamengo is doing bad, you call up for the fans. You say, hey, come support us. And there was one year in particular, I think it was 2011 or 12, that Flamengo was like the first half of the league in the relegation zone, like the bottom of the league. And we were thinking, this is going to be the year that Flamengo might be relegated. Flamengo has never been relegated before. And then people started showing up and and cheering and singing from beginning to end. And then Flamengo had like 11 matches in a row in at home winning. And we actually managed to qualify for the Libertadores for, you know, it was by then it was the top four. We actually ended up in the top four after spending the first half of the league in the relegation zone. So you have some bad moments in our history. Uh, but let, let's talk about more of the more positive things then. Um, if you're going down the top three moments in the club's history, what, what are you going for? I have to say that top moment was last season. There was never a season like 2019. Uh, Flamengo invested a lot of money. Actually, the club you know, went through some financial difficulties in the early 2000s. And recently, in the last eight years, the direction of the club changed and they decided to prioritize uh, keeping the club sane and, you know, financially sane. And this is paying off now. Flamengo is the richest club in Brazil. It's the one that negotiates the best contracts, the sponsors, and invests in the best players. So Flamengo is now bringing players back from Europe, you know, bringing foreign players and they actually put a team together that was really, really good, but the team was not playing well. So they fired the coach in the beginning of the season. In Brazil, the season lasts for a calendar year. Well, this season is going to be weird due to the corona break, but the, it lasts for the calendar year. So in the beginning of the season, they fired the coach and they decided to invest in a good coach as well. So they hired Jorge Jesus, a Portuguese that had never trained in Brazil before, that had been champions with Benfica a few years back. And he changed the mentality of the team and the organization of the team, of the squad. And even though you can see that um, the Flamengo is really... It, it, it has big, big players and, and, and big, uh, you know, the direction of the club is actually a very professional direction now. We don't have good coaches in Brazil. Our coaches are outdated. Our coaches, you know, they live in the time when the Brazil used to win World Cups. <laughs> and that's a long time ago. So there's a big resistance against foreign coaches in Brazil due to the fact that, you know, we have won five World Cups. So we are the, the football country and people don't, open up their minds to saying, yeah, but that was a long time ago. You know, football is evolving. We need to learn from other people as well. And Flamengo decided to do that. So Jorge Jesus changed it completely. And we ended up winning the Brazilian League and the Libertadores and the, tor- the state tournament in one season. And the season afterwards, we won the Super Cup, or the Libertadores Super Cup, the from the Brazil Super Cup, the state tournament again. So he was like a Guardiola, you know, for us. Like he won, I think, six out of seven titles or four out of six, something like that, like Guardiola did in, in, in... in Barcelona, you know, uh, giving the the differences, of course, but mm-hmm. he he did the same thing as Guardiola did for us, so we love him. But he left the club a couple months back. So now you um, hate him. 
No, we still love him, but but we hope that he does very bad in Benfica and comes back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a couple more questions before we round up. Uh, Zico, obviously the most iconic player, I imagine, but there's been you've also had Romario, Ronaldinho, Adriano. Yes. Uh, who comes after Zico? Um, has, to be, th- has to be Adriano, right? Adriano is more of a recent guy, so he's in the mind of younger people and, you know, mine as well. I would say he's probably my third or fourth, you know, top five best strikers of all time. So, yeah, of course. And, you know, Adriano is also formed in Flamengo, in Flamengo Academy. So we have a special love for these guys. But we had some amazing players back in the 50s as well. Um, Junior, who used to play also in Italy. I think he played in Roma. Uh, he was amazing. He led the team in the 92 league title. And he was already like 38, 39 years old. So uh, Dida, who was also a guy from the 50s. But, you know, those guys are uh, podcast audiences, not going to know who they are. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to say Adriano then. Okay. Well, they also, they've also had a couple of others, more notable names like Everton. Uh, I think Julio Cesar was there as well at some stage. Yeah, Julio Cesar also from the Flamengo Academy. So he managed to end his career playing for Flamengo the last few months um, almost for free. He just wanted to play for Flamengo his last matches and he did a couple of years ago. So we do have some very iconic players and don't right forget, now... Don't forget Cleberson, well, Man United legend. Right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he actually played well for Flamengo, you know. He was at the, like... Everyone thought his career was maybe over. He hadn't played any football in a long time, like any good football. And then he came to Flamengo. And that was the 2019 that actually uh, we got... Adriano, who everyone thought his career was over. Klebeson, everyone thought his career was over. And Petkovic, which is, um, he's a Serbian guy, but he lives in Brazil for a long time. Mm. And everyone thought his career was over as well. And then they became amazing. So that that year was one of those things that everything fell right at the right time. People were at the right place at the right time. No one expected Flamengo to win that title. And we actually did. Okay, so you, you mentioned this season is a little bit off uh, with COVID and everything going on around the world. But what are the what are the hopes, plans, aims aims for this one? Well, we started the season thinking we were going to win everything again, like every Brazilian sports. <laughs> I love media. that mentality. <laughs> yeah, so every Brazilian sport media was saying that like Flamengo is unstoppable because not only did we win everything last season, but we won everything. No one had ever won a Brazilian league with so many matches still to be played, like so early in the league. No one could face a Flamengo. Flamengo would play against the best teams, either in Libertadores or in Brazil, and we would win three, four, five nil. We were way above all the other teams. And we managed to keep the coach for the beginning of the season and to keep the whole team except for, I think, one player, a defender that had left and gone to Arsenal, Pablo Marie. Mm. So we thought we kept the team, we kept the the coach, things are going to be wonderful again. But then, you know, COVID came and Jorge Jesus left and everything is very weird in the season. And right now, at this very moment, as we speak, Flamengo just actually won a match in Libertadores, but they have seven players with COVID that couldn't play. They had to import the under 21 players last minute to go to Ecuador to fill up the squad. So... And the new coach, he's still not very successful, let's say that. So he's still, he, he's also a foreigner. He's uh, Dominic Torrin, that used to be Guardiola's assistant in Manchester City. Oh. Yeah, so he left City a couple months back to take over Flamengo. But that's a bold uh, bet because he has never coached a big team before. I think he coached teams in the MLS. And if I'm not mistaken, maybe uh, Red Bull, uh, the Salzburg team, but not sure about that. So he's still finding out about the team and, you know, it's it's hard for you to change managers and to change mentality. So he's been doing lots of changes and with winning and losing. So we're very unstable 
for the time being. So now I think our hopes and, and plans have changed our expectations. So if we win the league or if we qualify for the Libertadores, let's say semifinal, I think I'm, it's good enough, but I'm not really sure we can make it there. Now, it's been a while since we talked about Ligue 1, so we have Jibril Diop on the podcast to make that right. Jibril, uh, I feel it's we're almost a week too late since we missed the craziness of Le Classique, uh, but you, you tell me people are still talking about it in France. Yes, um, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's really hard to keep track of what, who has done what during that game. It's just this big aftermath. Um, I mean, for those who didn't like follow the whole story, obviously the PSG-Marseille match, um, happened like a week ago and there was a lot of controversy and scandal in the game after the game just like a merry-go-round of insults and allegations um, so Di Maria basically got uh, was caught on camera spitting towards Alvaro who's the Marseille defender Alvaro allegedly made, made racist remarks to Neymar Neymar allegedly made racist remarks to Alvaro, and Neymar also allegedly made racist remarks to the Japanese Marseille defender, um, Hiroki Sakai. So it just became this whole um, <laughs> big scandal. And yeah, so it's uh, to this day still rumbling on. Um, investigations have been launched, the lawyers are stalking, um, some sanctions have been handed out, and yeah, it's just a big mess, basically. Um, what do you reckon the next steps are? Are they going to be they're going to investigate the racism allegations? Is that that's what it is? Yeah. So, um, Di Maria, um, who's like obviously allegedly, who, like he, it's not even allegedly. He, we also the images where he spat towards Alvaro. Thankfully, he missed him. He's he's been called up to by the instances where he has to go, and obviously they have to figure out what his sanction will be. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's he's not been banned yet. Um, Alvaro has not been banned yet. Also, an investigation has been opened. Obviously, if it is revealed that he made racist remarks to towards Neymar, he will obviously um, be banned. Kuzaba has already had like a six-game ban, so that's already done. Neymar two-game ban with one suspended. And yeah, so Neymar also he might be in hot water for the race the alleged racist remarks he made towards Sakai so that has to be followed as well um, PSG just six points so far this season is this a hangover from the Champions League or maybe the party after the Champions League yeah I mean it's just a weird situation because usually PSG when they have a dip in form when they have a big crisis it's in November but this time it just came early and picture this PSG lost their opening game against a promoted team who's been favoured for relegation so loss Mm. And then um, a couple of days later, they lost against their biggest rivals, Marseille. Um, so <laughs> the backdrop of all this is Tuchel is already in danger of losing his job, despite guiding them to the final of the Champions League. Um, Mbappe, this, this whole room is swirling that, you know, he gave Real Madrid a thumbs up. Um, and just the team is not playing well. That's it. I mean... We get the feeling that the Champions League, the Champions League run all the way to the final was just um, the, the tree that that hit the forest because the, the team wasn't playing well even last year. But obviously, the fact that they made it to the Champions League final was kind of the the thing that kind of brushed everything under the carpet. Um, but yeah, it's just a mess at PSG at the moment, and yeah, a lot of heads might drop before the transfer window is is done with. Even Tuchel, who knows. Um, well, well, that that is interesting. How likely? There's two main points there. You've got Mbappe and you've got Tuchel. How likely is it that Tuchel will go, and who would replace him? And how likely that Mbappe would go? Obviously, I, I'm um, guessing not in this transfer window. That that might be a bit too yeah. short. <laughs> no, I mean none of them will leave. To be realistic, but just the fact that there's this chatter around it um, might like it might fragilize his position there at the club. It might destabilize his authority within the dressing room. So obviously it's never positive when you have a manager who seems to be in the hot seat. And the feeling already is that this is his last year at the club. And with Pochettino waiting on the sidelines, with Allegri waiting on the sidelines, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's not really an ideal for Tuchel right now. And yeah, Mbappe, we all know, I mean, I personally believe this is his last dance at PSG. This is his last season there. And then, yeah, he's going to probably go to Real Madrid or, I mean, Liverpool has been mentioned as well. So I think Liverpool is a, is a, is a real solution too for him. 
And I'm guessing that I'm guessing that would be world record fee type. Mm, yeah, it might. I mean, it would be the same, like something like 150 million, because obviously one year left on his contract. So mm. yeah, it would be something like that. I'm not sure who might be able to pay that because I'm not sure Liverpool will have enough in the coffers to pay that. Real Madrid also. Barcelona, we don't even need to mention that. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, so speaking of teams with uh, a few points and a, and a Champions League hangover, Leon, just five points so far. What's gone wrong? I mean, Leon is just, um, uh, just a smaller version of the PSG drama. So you have obviously tension in the dressing room with players jostling for position, um, young players who feel that their role is too limited, so this player, Zephyrin Adelaide, who's actually on the books at Arsenal a couple of years ago, he just had this big outburst in the media asking to leave, saying that obviously the coaching staff didn't respect their promises in terms of his position and his playing time. And he was bought for 25 million euros um, a year ago, and he was supposed to be this, you know, the, he was supposed to carry the flag for Lyon, the next couple of years and now he wants to leave and Ren wants to buy him the club doesn't want to sell him so that's a big mess there's obviously the Depay thing Depay obviously is playing he's trying to pull a fast one on Leon basically he wants to leave he wants to engineer a move Leon doesn't really want to sell him Barcelona doesn't have the funds to buy him and he's kind of stuck there like a prisoner so you feel like um, in a couple of weeks he might throw a tantrum or, some, a tantrum or something so mm. that's a one to keep an eye on maybe um, there must yeah. be the fans must be angry about with the pay given you know they the, the club brought him back to life following that spell at Man United they stood by him during a pretty serious injury last season and now he pays them back by saying screw you I want to I want to go to Barcelona. I mean the fans knew what they were getting when he left Man United to join the club. This was a marriage of convenience. The needed the bounce back club. Leon was ready to offer him that platform and they pounced. And now that he wants to leave, there is no particular resentment because they knew what they were getting. Um, Lyon was not his dream club. He always wanted to be in the big stage. And Lyon is a selling club after all. Lacazette left, Nombele left, Dubai mm-hmm. is the next one in the pipeline. So there's not, nothing surprising there. So if the fans are not really bothered by it because obviously they're used to him not being in the, in the team. Like last year he had this long injury layoff. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they can't cope without him because they're already used to like playing without him. And they have guys like Awar who are much more indispensable than he is. Yeah, let's let's talk about uh, Awar because he's he's really catching the eye of late, no? Yeah, I mean he had a good obviously final eight tournament. Um, he started the season so and so. Um, there are talks of him like like I think the rumors go back to all all the way back to twenty eighteen, like him and Manchester City. I don't personally think Manchester City want him because I don't think they need him. People have said maybe he would be the Fernandinho's heir or something. He's not really that type of player. So he would be just a luxury addition to Manchester City. I don't think he's going to leave the club. Um, I don't think... I think he's one of those guys who's the victim of the whole corona situation. Just there are no funds for the clubs who want him and there's no room in the squad for the, for the clubs who want him but can afford him. So it's just a weird situation for him. A good player, obviously, and he's been called up to the French national squad in the last international break. So, yeah. I guess good, that's, good his, little player. that's his first time being called up, isn't it? First time being called. He was obviously he was the under-21s before. He stagnated a bit in the last two years, so that's why maybe the call-up to the French national team took a bit of time. But, yeah, he had this big breakout Panel 8 tournament. So, now, yeah, now he's with the big boys. Okay, well, with with Leon and PSG underperforming, it means we have a top three of Sanity and Ren and Montpellier. That's yeah. quite amazing, really. Uh, let's let's focus on Ren for a moment, and in in particular, uh, Camavinga and then Mendy. Um, Camavinga, wow! Well, I mean, what a player! I mean, we we've known about him for a bit, but he's really living up to the hype. Yeah, I mean, this kid is fast becoming the unanimous golden boy of the French league. I mean, with Mbappe more mature and grown now and also more criticised, um, everyone is kind of rallying behind the more relatable and likeable Camavinga. He's just a nice lad. He's head on his shoulders, um, plays well, likes pressure. Um, and yeah, very humble. He's like a, 
contact with dreadlocks, basically. And, yeah, everyone is kind of, everyone likes him. He's an all-action midfielder. He can do everything on the on the pitch. He wins the ball back, makes the offense picks with his passes between the lines. Perfect decision making for his age. It's unbelievable. Um, yeah, and as I said, humble off the pitch, combative on the pitch. That's everything you want on a player. Terrific attitude. All of which Just means needs to bulk up a little bit. Just yeah, needs to bulk up, add a bit of muscle. All of which means Ren won't be holding on for him for very long. Sorry? All of which means Ren won't be holding on to him for very long. Yeah, I mean, this is like Mbappe. This is, I think, his last season. Um, he, he, insist, he insisted on staying this season to, just to play the Champions League with his boyhood club. Once that fairy tale comes to an end, obviously he'll join the big boys. Um, probably Real Madrid, because I think he's kind of a Modric type of player. Modric is on his last legs right now. Mm. So I think that would be just the perfect replacement for Real Madrid. Him and Tony Cruz right there in the middle, in the engine room of Real Madrid. Match made heaven. And what two players? What better two players to learn from than than Kroos and and Modric? That would, yeah, that wouldn't exactly. be wouldn't yeah. be too bad. Uh, <laughs> Mendy uh, Mendy's on his way to Chelsea. We know that already. Um, they desperately need a new keeper. Is he going to be good enough? And what type of what type of keeper are Chelsea getting in him? Um, is he good enough? Yeah. First of all, he's better than Kepa. But um, I think Jamie <laughs> <laughs> Carragher said it. Um, it's not good. It's not good enough to be better than Kepa. You have to be um, maybe twice as good as Kepa. And he is like he's really good. Reflexes and agility. He's second to none, really. A commanding goalkeeper. No nonsense. Very vocal. You know, very vocal with his defenders. Good in the dressing room. And obviously, bags of experience, international level. Obviously, he played in the Europa League. But maybe the downside I can think of, he's already 28, so there's no real upside there in terms of potential. But, yeah, I mean, him and Zuma and Thiago Silva, I can already see, like, a magical triangle there. Because, obviously, they're, all, all three of them are French speakers, so I can see a good chemistry developing there. Mm. Um, yeah, I think good. Yeah. And that, that sort of commanding presence is, is really what they need, because Kepa looks, looks shot of confidence of late. Yeah, exactly. I mean... It, Dominating the area, those long shots that he's been conceding and everything. I think Edward Mendy is just the perfect stopgap solution for two or three years for Chelsea. And then Chelsea, I think maybe in three years, they're going to go look for that courtois, that player who can carry them over the course of multiple seasons. Mm. So he's the perfect stopgap solution, Edward Mendy. Okay, a colleague of ours is a huge Sanitian fan and I was talking to him about this before we came on and about their um, being top of the league. He says it's unexpected and probably won't last. Uh, is that a sentiment you agree with? Yeah, I mean, he's right. Um, this is the most unpredictable team in French football, without a doubt. Um, a lot of infighting in the team, even up to now, like um, between the co-presidents in the dressing room with Claude Friel, I'm sure the Leicester fans have... <laughs> Fond memories of him, um, like we've got beyond the veterans, like over reliance on their star player. Um, yeah, like I'm, I'm sure you've heard of it, Dennis Bwanga. I expect to see him in the Premier League sooner rather than later. So yeah, I mean, it's Santa Chan is going to slip down, like maybe in the middle of the table, kind of type, type of thing. Um, so yeah. I don't have high hopes for them. But before they do, they've got a top of the table clash this weekend against. Uh, it's against Ren, right? Yes, so yeah, that's going to be obviously a match, the match of the weekend, basically. I mean, it's going to be uh, interesting to see how, um, what their European, because like everyone is talking about, yeah, maybe Santa Chan can make, make a run for the Champions League places now. This is going to be like the, the, the litmus test for them to see if they can really cope against um, tougher opposition. And Ren is the best, one, among the best right now in the league. So yeah, it's going to be a good match. Okay, any other games or stories we should be looking out for this weekend? Oh, I'm going to be watching Lille and Nantes for sure. Yeah, that's like two sides of an attacking style of football. A few gems in there too. There's a few players you might hear about over the course of the season. Like Loser and um, um, Lille, you have obviously Jonathan David. So you have a couple of good players on both sides. Very attacking style of football. So that's going to be a good one for sure. And keep an eye on the PSG strips to, um, to Rance. That's going to be a good one. Um, because um, Rance has one of the most fearsome defences in the, in the country. Slightly shaky start, so it's going to be interesting to see how PSG attacking impetus will cope with, obviously, the defense of, of France. That's going to be a good one.
Okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Francesco, Gibriel and Joanna. We'll be back next week, but should you miss us in the meantime, you can listen to the back catalog on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast hit. And if you want to get in touch, the address to do so is podcast.onefootball.com and be sure to check out our Monday Premier League podcast. Thank you.